Good to see everybody. Happy Fourth of July. Uh, I'm going to preach down here today, if that's okay with you. It's a little scary for the people in the front row. Some, sometimes I get so wired up that I foam at the mouth and stuff. So hopefully, anyway, I won't go further with that metaphor. Uh, anyway, I want to share some good news with you. Okay, so finally, uh, my book is available. Uh, I got 500 copies just last night from UPS. And uh, so I'm going to give one away right now. Okay? Usually when we have these little contests, we ask, who's been married the longest? But I'm figuring if you've been married for 100,000 years, that you probably don't need this book, although you can still buy it. Uh, but who's been married the briefest amount of time? Like anybody married less than a year? Wow. How about five years? Okay, so okay, so how long have you how long when did you guys get married? The date? 15. Say it again? 2015. 2016. Woo! Unbelievable. So I'm guessing the Holy Spirit thinks this guy needs this more than all the other guys. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Alright, the rest of you have to pay for it. All right, well, anyway, enough of that now. Let's get serious. Um, Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We'll get there in a little bit. And I'll take that first slide, please. Okay, so everybody knows what this is. What are you thinking about right now because of what you see on the screen? (laughs) I knew someone would say French fries. Yeah, we think of greasy, salty, tasty fries and everything else there. But those fries are worth taking a few minutes off your life every time you eat them, right? (laughs) So that's what we think of, all right? And it's always meant that. But what if this is what's called a logo, right? And I was an art major, and so I had a few classes on logos, And this is one of the best logos ever created. Because every time you see it, you think of tasty fries and other stuff. And the kids scream in the car, let's stop, let's get it. Right? And that's why I chose this one. It doesn't even have the name on there. You know this means McDonald's. But what if, over time, this symbol symbolized broccoli and kale and fresh fruit and stuff like that? Would your kids... Say, hey, McDonald's, let's stop there. No. They say, keep driving. I might stop there. You know, that's what's happened to our logo, the Christian logo, that one. The meaning has changed a lot. Let me illustrate. You know, what if in, I don't know, 1948, I visited... Uh, Hiroshima or Nagasaki, and on my shirt I had a big picture of a mushroom cloud, a, an atomic bomb blowing off. What would that create in the hearts of the Japanese people, especially since I'm American? It'd be like, I, I'm sure I'd get beat up or something. <laughs> <laughs> 
around the time Jesus died, nobody wore a cross on their ear as jewelry. Nobody had a cross around their neck or a baseball cap with a big cross on it. Nobody did that. Because it was the most humiliating, ugly, vicious way that man has ever invented to kill another man. Now, and I'm not trying to make you take off your jewelry or anything if you're wearing a, you know, a necklace. I used to wear one all the time with a cross on. I lost it. But we've, the point here is we've lost what it really means. We've lost what that means. And if we lose what Christianity is all about, we're not going to relate to God as we should. We're not going to be motivated for life. We're not going to act right. We're going to give up when the times get really tough if we don't understand at least some stuff about the cross. So why did Jesus come to earth? To die. So that's the title of the sermon. Why did he come to earth? And that song is so beautiful. To give his blood, to die, to be crucified. Not just die anyway, but to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that I can do the best job that I can do to talk about the most important thing of Christianity. We love you, and it's through your son's name that we pray. Amen. Okay. Why did Jesus, our creator, die? First point. I got six or seven points, okay? But they're short. Wait a minute. Joel's not here. They might not be short. I don't know. He died to save us. That's the answer most people give right away. He died to save us from our sins, and that's so true. But it's way more than that. You know, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we, we might become the righteousness of God. That adds a lot of stuff to he died to save me from my sins. First of all, he did die for each one of us. But reality, we need to look at it, he died for us to create this new family, this shame-free, sin-free, promised family. That, by the way, is the whole theme of the book of Romans. Who is the family of God is the big question answered uh, in the book of Romans. It's the family created by the cross of Christ. It's the Christians, okay? So, so we, we have to see it not only that I am saved. I was saved on October 8th, 1978 at about 11.30 p.m. when I was baptized into Christ. There was like 150 people there that late at night. There were two other people baptized that night. That's when I was saved. But I was saved and I was baptized into Christ. That's why I was saved but I was also baptized into the family, the church. I could show you a bunch of verses right now, but we don't have time. Okay? So we got to see that. Acts 20, verse 28 says, uh, Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, and he, he says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The church was created by the blood of Christ. We were created. This family was created by the blood of Christ, just like Adam and Eve. 
What did God do? After, after God and Adam spent a bunch of time together, he conked him on the head. He went to sleep. He pierced his side. Just read John 19. He pierced Adam's side to create his bride. That was prophecy. About a long time in the future, he was going to pierce Jesus' side. I think it's John 19, 26 or somewhere around there. He pierced his side, and the church, the bride of Christ, was created. Isn't that cool? That's a faith builder to me. So he died to save us. So the practical point here is, as we're coming back together, is, hey, God wants way more than attendance. He wants us to be this loving family that lays down our lives for each other. Not Jesus isn't interested in uh, a perfect attendance record, although if you love people like and you love the church like Jesus does, then you realize that, yeah, I got to be invested here as best I can with my life schedule. When you have a bunch of kids, it's a little harder, right? So you, you, you don't do as much in the church directly because, hey, God understands you got, you know, a couple hundred kids at home with you. <laughs> Feels like that, doesn't it? <laughs> we took over our grandkids this, this week and it was like, wow, how many of them are there? It's like, I'm tired, and it's only 9 a.m. <laughs> so, well, it was, it was a gas, Stevie. It was, it was fun. We, we had a blast. Okay, all right, I'm getting too long-winded. Here's, here's a question for us. The greatest way God knows that you love him is how much you love each other. That's all over the Bible. You can't say, I love God, which is the greatest commandment, and be ho-hum about the church. Can't do it. God goes, God sees right through that. How much you love one another is how much you love him, the one who died for you. Number two, Jesus died. Why did he come to earth? He died to solve the divine dilemma. You know, what's that? Well, we're going to talk about that in a Roman series, so I'm not really going to talk about it now other than this. Because God is holy, he must condemn any and all sin. He must. He, because God is holy, we don't even get what holiness is. Even people that have been around for 40-some years. God can never sweep even the tiniest sin, no such thing, even the tiniest sin under the rug. We do all oh, that's okay. God can't do that. He's holy. Because God is loving, because God is love, he has to find a way to offer us salvation. Because God is always righteous or always consistent with who he is, he must do both. How can God both condemn my sin and save me at the same time, the sinner? The solution was the cross. Jesus didn't die just because I thought, well, i got to give them something really motivational, something to really inspire them. That's true. He died because there's no other way to be saved. Because there's no other way to untangle this pickle that God uh, seemed to be in once we became sinners. That's the, so Jesus died to solve this 
dilemma that God appeared to be in once we became sinners, both Adam and Eve, and then when we all followed in his footsteps or their footsteps. Number three, we're going pretty quick here. Uh, uh, we're not going to spend too much time on this one either because I just walked off the screen uh, because, uh, uh, because we'll deal with this one in a Romans series when we get to Romans 3. Jesus died to salvage God's character. If anybody ever comes to you and says, God was a God of wrath in the Old Testament, but now he's a God of grace, either straighten that person out if you have the ability to, or run away from them because they have no idea what they're talking about. You know, you know one of the reasons Jesus died is because he was too soft. God was too soft on sin throughout the Old Testament. And it talks about this in Romans 3, so we'll get to that. But God was a softy in the Old Testament. Read Psalm 78 on your own time. Just, just go look at Psalm 78. Or visit Habakkuk or Jeremiah. They both were like scratching their head looking at God. Like, Why are you not dealing with all this sin? And God didn't say this, but he could have. Well, because then I'd have to deal with you too, Jeremiah. <laughs> you know, you're a sinner. Right? To salvage God's character. At the cross, we see God is holy. We see Romans eleven twenty two that he's strict. He's inflexible when it comes to sin. But then we also see that he's compassionate and merciful. And the only way you can understand how God is strict and holy and inflexible when it comes to sin and gracious and merciful and forgiving is if you understand the deep things about the cross. It will set you free. I'm not kidding you. Okay, but we'll talk more about that later. Jesus came to this earth to secure us. Not that long ago, I was in an audience of about 800 people, and there was this uh, minister up there preaching, and he asked a question to all these people. And I was in the crowd. I was on the front row. And he said, how many of you know that you're saved? You know it. crowd of about 800. Less than 10 of us raised our hands. And me, I was an evangelist. And I raised my hand partially because I thought, well, I should. <laughs> and partially because I was sort of confident. But I raised it sheepishly. Am I being arrogant? <sighs> Do I really know I'm saved? And then I looked around. Less than 10 people in that audience raised their hand. And that's when I, I, I thought, we're doing something wrong here. We're, there's something we're not, we don't understand about Jesus. I'm talking about the evangelists. There's something we don't get. There's something we don't understand. Because how can the gospel be the greatest news on the face of the planet if I'm not even sure if I have it? Hey, man, come to my church. We're the people that think we might be saved possibly if we're really, really, really good and share our faith with a thousand people every day. But I'm still not sure. <laughs> I thought, and that really changed how I went after Jesus and what I studied. Because I thought, we should be so confident. 
that were filled with inexpressible joy. You can't be filled with inexpressible joy if you don't even know you're going to get married or not for eternity. I hope he marries me. That would be a really insecure bride, right? He said, he gave me this beautiful ring, but I guess I'll have to wait till the day to see if we're going to get married or not. I've never seen a bride like that. Never. Paranoid bride. Never seen it. I've seen penniless brides. I've seen discouraged brides because all the plants keep falling apart. But I've never seen a bride paranoid about whether her husband-to-be loves her or not. And that's why they have a show called Bridezilla. Remember that? I never watched it, but I go, that's cool. The church ought to be bridezillas for Jesus. Like, we, this, nothing going to stop me from getting married to that awesome man. And they are so confident. They will work through every obstacle. They'll bust through every, every hindrance. If, if, if the dinner plans and, and the reception hall fall through, then we'll find another one. Because they're going to get married. Because they know that guy loves them. He chose them. That's the way the church ought to be, right? He died to secure us. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. You say, are you ever going to get to a scripture? I'm going to read this in two versions. Colossians chapter 1. Now, Colossians 1.15 through 20 is the most succinct passage in the entire Bible about who Jesus is. So I wish we had time to study it, but maybe you could this week. Verse 21, this includes you. So he just talked about in verse 20 how Jesus saved us by his blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, not just your actions, even by your evil thoughts. Yet now, now, present tense, now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy now, blameless now, as you stand before him without a single fault. How many of us actually came in here believing, I don't have any faults, and not arrogant about it? Because that's, that's not your doing. We all have lots of faults, but not through the blood-stained eyes of Jesus we don't. The voice translation. Same verse. You were once at odds with God when you lived for yourself, right? Wicked in your ways and evil in your minds. But now he has reconciled you in his body, in his flesh, through his death, so that he can present you to God holy, blameless, and totally free of imperfection as long as you stay planted in the faith. So that's our part. He didn't say stay perfect in the faith. He said planted in the faith. I'm guessing because you're here or anybody that's listening, I'm guessing it's because you're still planted in the faith. What that means is you're blameless, you have no imperfections, God only sees purity. That's why we're called the holy people of God. That's why we're called the holy city. 
that's why we're, uh, we're called the saints, you know? Some churches say there's only a few saints. Everybody that becomes a Christian is a saint. I just met, for the first time, St. Jacob over here. Right? That's your name, right? Okay, St. Jacob. St. Jesse. Wow, she had us over. She is a saint. We had some good food over there. <laughs> you see? You start to get fired up about her identity. My wife rebuked me right before church in a good way, in a wifely, respectful way. Because with my new book, I found a couple flaws. I found a couple typos. And she goes, will you stop looking for flaws in your book and just enjoy your own book? We do that with Jesus, don't we? He wants us to enjoy our lives a lot, inexpressibly so. He died to secure us. Can I have that next slide, please? I don't know what you think you're worth, but Jesus thinks you're to die for. I don't know, you know, maybe all your life you were treated in worthless ways. Maybe the people around you thought you were worthless. Maybe they said that. I may not be perfect, and I'm not, and neither are you, but Jesus thinks I'm to die. Jesus died for you just as much as anybody else. Just as much as anybody else. We should be the most secure people on the face of the planet. Amen? Number five, why did Jesus come to this earth? Why did Jesus die? To spur us on. What if Kelly and I were independently wealthy? Which we're not. (laughs) But what if we were? And what if we came here and said, hey, we're going to do something. I want to prove a point. What if we said, I'm going to pick just randomly five people from the audience here, from the church, and I'm going to give you $10,000, and I worked it out with the government, $10,000 tax-free dollars every month if you live a sold-out Christian life. You treat your spouse lovingly. You, oh, you deny your sinful feeling. You go after it like you did when you were a baby Christian. Or maybe you are now. And you get 10,000, would just do it a month at a time. And like the Truman Show or Truman movie, remember that goofy movie where they followed him around with a hidden camera? And so we, we set up this hidden camera and, and we followed you around just, just so that you were, had integrity about all this. We weren't looking for perfection, we were looking for consistency. How many of us would take that challenge? How many, how many of us would be motivated for, you know, the month of July? the month of August, every month for $120,000 a year, tax-free. What's my point? Isn't Jesus worth more than $10,000 a month? Would we be, and I, I'm asking this, my, these are haunting questions actually. Jesus is worth way more than $10,000 a month. 1 Peter 1 says that. You weren't redeemed with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. Motivation is a tough thing when you're 43 years into this thing. I get tired. And the only thing that keeps me going, that's why I'm preaching on the cross. I just moved. My body's filled with pain a lot of times. I'm, I'm like... It's harder for me to have energy to do this. I've been preaching the same guy, doing the same thing 
for 44 years. Reading the same Bible for 44 years. Nobody else reads any other book all the time. I've been reading this romance novel for 44 years. Aren't you bored yet? Nobody ever does that. But we do that with the same old book, same old preachers, same old church, same old friends. How do we stay motivated? I know no other answer than what we're talking about today. This cross spurs us on. You know, I like stories of inspiration, like you know, like a, a person in a wheelchair that runs a marathon. How inspiring is that? But that's not as inspiring as the story of the cross. I mean, I'm not belittling it at all. I'm just saying, this is the thing that has to turn us and move us more than anything else. But you only get, that's only going to happen if you study the cross deeply. This is not a deep study of the cross, by the way. Like, we're just skimming the surface. 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Jesus died so that we would also die and pour out our lives for others. That's what it says. That's verse 14 and 15. Paul made it personal in Galatians 2.20 because he said um, that, that Jesus died for me. Paul writing, Jesus died for me, and that's why I'm so eager and willing and enthusiastic about dying for him. He didn't say it was easy. Obviously, it wasn't if you read Paul's story. But he just said, that's what keeps me eager. Okay? Number six, why did Jesus come to earth? To show us practically how to live. Especially how to love. The cross, the message of the cross is a deep, giant theological ocean. But it's also very practical and actually very simple. The cross shows us how to love. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. It shows us how to love. The most important thing that all of us need to learn is how to love. 1 John chapter 4. This is the greatest definition in the Bible. I think, verse 9 and 10. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world. That's what we're talking about today. Into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. This is the definition of love. This is the love I want to saturate every marriage and every church and every family group. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So he's saying, God didn't start loving us once we started heading back in his direction and started becoming more lovable. We were running away from God. We'll talk about that in Romans 1 at light speed. And that's when Jesus died. When, he was, when we were thumbing our nose up at him. When the world was saying, I don't care about you, uh, I don't believe in you, I don't trust you, uh, I hate you, whatever. When we became, in God's eyes, a prostitute world, 
He ran after his prostitute, the book of Hosea. That's when he died on the cross. That's the greatest thing we need to learn in life. The church should be known, and especially husbands, should be known for giving love when it's undeserved. That's the best time to love your wife. And if you want to know more about that, just go ahead and purchase my little book. But it goes two ways. Jesus died for wives, too. Jesus died for all of us, single, everybody. Learning to love people when they don't deserve it, like Jesus did, washing their feet. They were so out of touch with his emotions. They were his best friends. And, and he, he let them know he was hurting. He told them over and over and over and over again, I'm going to die when we go to Jerusalem. They went, stop talking about that. Peter rebuked him once. Stop it. Messiahs don't die. They conquer. Only Mary of Bethany understood he was going to die. We'll talk about that someday. And yet, they, they broke into an argument at the Last Supper about who was the greatest. And I think that's when Jesus was most tempted to quit. Most tempted to throw in the towel. But instead of throwing in the towel, he picked up a towel and he washed their feet. He continued to love his out-of-touch friends. Isn't that tough to do? You're suffering, you're struggling, and whatever. Someone may even have hurt you bad, and they don't even realize it. And You call me to love that jerk? Yep. The cross shows us how to love. It shows us how to forgive. Father, forgive them from the cross. They just stripped him naked. They nailed him to the cross. And he's, God, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Oh. I'm not that forgiving yet, but I want to get there. It shows us how to live. Give me two people or two groups of people that are in an argument, a conflict, even if it's gone on for years, and you really stick the cross in the middle of those relationships, they will find resolution. If they're willing to live by the principles of the cross, the call of the cross, they, you can fix anything, any relational problem. I believe that. I've seen it. No, I'm not saying it's easy because being crucified is not easy. If, if this party is willing to be crucified, you know what I mean, and this party is willing to be crucified, oh, my gosh, that's when God, that's when the spirit ignites. That's when, that's when things happen that people go, how'd that happen? Spirit, cross. I'm not saying it's easy cross shows us how to think about ourselves and others. I wish I had time to talk more about that, but it does. It shows us how to think about Jesus was willing to die for every one of us. I think if you were the only person or I was the only person that lived or we were the only person that lived, he still would have died. So how dare I think I'm better than someone else when Jesus died for that person too? 
One more scripture. Galatians chapter 6. This is the uh, New Living Translation. Not always my favorite, but it definitely is my favorite on this verse. Galatians chapter 6. The cross shows us how to think about the world and all that it has to offer, which is a lot. More than any other society, our world has more to offer us, more eye candy than any other, any other society at all time. That's why it's so hard to stay focused. Galatians chapter 6. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. It's dead. And the world's interest in me has also died. They don't like me any more than I like them. <laughs> That's what he's saying in a sense. Yeah, they don't like me. They don't accept me. They don't like my message. That's the key to overcoming sin is crucifying the desires by improving and strengthening your desire for him. How can we not desire him when he, what he has done for us is so unexplainably awesome? He deserves for us to go, I don't want that stuff. I don't care about that stuff. I'm not saying you can't have hobbies or something and go fishing once in a while. That's not my point. My point is, what do you desire the most? The cross should determine that. The cross also reveals to us that there's no such thing as a hopeless case. God never gives up on people. I'm going to throw out a thought here and not explain it. Do you know the unforgivable sin can be forgiven? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to answer that. You go, oh, you just hired a heretic. I'll explain it sometime. Remind me if you can't find the answer to that. Okay? All right. Luke 12, 48. Those who've been given much, much will be expected. That's an intimidating verse unless you have been transformed by the message of the cross into a relationship, a grateful relationship, instead of looking at Christianity as a bunch of rules. See, I feel like finally... I understand in my life at least a little bit how much I've been given and why I've been given so much. And I do finally feel really confident about where I'm going to end up. And I'm sure it's not because I'm better than any of you guys because I struggle too. I struggle with sin also. But I finally am getting the message of grace. I'm finally getting it. I could explain it for years, but I didn't really get it for myself emotionally. And now I'm finally getting it. And I go, I've been given so much. It's like I almost don't need rules. I know what he wants. And I desire to give him what he wants. Because all that he's done for me, that's the ultimate place that God wants to get his bride. All of us. And if we keep, now this doesn't happen automatically. You're not going to get it after one sermon if you don't got it. I'm guessing that was bad English. But if you stick at it, stick with it, 
if you keep running after Jesus, if you keep trying to understand grace, maybe someday you'll get it. And you'll, you'll feel freer than you've ever felt in your life. And when you share your faith, it'll be out of overflow. The last person I shared my faith with in Racine before we moved here, I almost didn't. Uh, I was getting Kelly's diamond ring cleaned. I gave her a diamond ring for Christmas. And it was getting cleaned, and, and so the lady was really nice, and we had a little talk, and then, and then there were a bunch of other people around, and I thought, well, I want to invite her to church, even though I'm gone in two days. Uh, but it just didn't work out. I kind of chickened out just a little bit and left. But, it, but when I was leaving, I said, uh, Jessica, have, have, a, have a really good day. And she goes, I'll try. And I'm driving away. I was about a mile away, and I, it's just not it. That was a weird response. It was, what? I'll try. So I turned around and went back. And then I walked in the store, and, and then I didn't see her. Oh, man, don't tell me she got off work. And then she saw me, and she oh, is there something wrong? I go, no, 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 no. No, there's nothing wrong. I, and I felt really weird, you know, like. But I thought, I'm go for it. Your response when I said, have a great day, I, I don't know. I can't stop thinking about it. She started crying. Are you okay? Started crying more. And we got into this talk, and she said, you know, that's my marriage. And I go, oh, I just, I just wrote a book on marriage. <laughs> so I'm going to Racine this week because we still work for Racine Church just a little bit. And I'm going to meet with her with one of the sisters. You know the reason? I wouldn't have done that a long time ago when Christianity was more about rules than you got to. To me, sharing your faith is bragging about your bridegroom, bragging about God. That's what it is. And then you just start doing that all the time. And understanding the message of the cross, that's, that's what will get you there. Whoa, what a savior, right? Anyway, let's pray and take communion. Father, thank you so much.